When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. Apparently, this is how they retaliate when you report facts they don't like. This White House does not seem to value an independent press. There is a word for that line of thinking. The word is un-American. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says nobody knew healthcare could be so complicated, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Actually, Mr. President, everybody knew that, except you. But here's something that isn't complicated, the role of the free press in a democracy. None other than George W. Bush showed up today to explain it to you on the Today Show. I consider the media to be indispensable to democracy, Bush said. We need an independent media to hold people like me to account. Power can be very addictive and it can be corrosive. And it's important for the media to call to account people who abuse power, whether it be here or elsewhere. There wasn't a Bushism in that whole thing. He said it perfectly. And Bush said another thing about the free press that I wish Trump understood that the United States sets an example for the world when it comes to press freedom in places like Russia and Turkey and Pakistan, and that you can't do that if you're reacting to criticism every day by calling the press fake and lying and failing and saying they make up stories and claiming they have sources that don't exist. Here's the last thing Bush said. He said, it's kind of hard to tell others to have an independent free press when we're not willing to have one ourselves. I never thought I'd say this, but amen, 43. I'll be back to discuss the consequences of us giving up our leadership role on free media with Joel Simon of the Committee to Protect Journalists, right after we do the tweets. Congratulations to Thomas Perez, who has just been named chairman of the DNC. I could not be happier for him or for the Republican Party. The race for DNC chairman was, of course, totally rigged. Bernie's guy, like Bernie himself, never had a chance. Clinton demanded Perez. Russia talk is fake news put out by the Dems and played up by the media in order to mask the big election defeat and the illegal leaks. For first time, the failing New York Times will take an ad, a bad one, to help save its failing reputation. Try reporting accurately and fairly. I will not be attending the White House Correspondents Association dinner this year. Please wish everyone well and have a great evening. 
My guest today is Joel Simon of the Committee to Protect Journalists. He's the author of the book, The New Censorship, and an op-ed in Saturday's New York Times about Trump damaging press freedom in the U.S. and abroad. Joel, thanks for joining me on the show. Great to be on. So I don't know if you heard former President Bush, George W. Bush, this morning on the Today Show, but boy, he sounded like he was scolding Donald Trump about his attitude toward the press. He said he talked about how indispensable an independent media is to democracy. And then he specifically said something I know must have been kind of music to your ears about how America represents free press in the world and that when you attack it, it's hard to be a beacon of it. Yeah, you know, I I, I definitely think he was being critical. Um no question about it. And I think it actually zeroed in on the distinction between Bush and Trump in this regard. Bush, obviously, was no friend of the media. He had, there were, there were many documented instances, including the whole manipulation around the Iraq War, the, 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 the use of and, and attacks on journalists by U.S. military personnel in theater, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the distinction is that Bush consistently expressed rhetorical support for the principle that journalists hold government accountable in a democracy and that that sets an example for the world. And Trump has not even gone that far. We have not heard that kind of rhetorical support for the role of the media from President Trump. And so that is really actually a distinction between the the two leaders. And I think that may have been the point that uh, Bush was trying to make. So, Joe, talk about why this matters. I mean, as the as a leader in the global fight for press freedom, why does it matter what the United States does? I mean, there are lots of countries that have a free press. Britain has a free press. Canada has a free press. European countries have very free media. Why does it why does it matter if the United States kind of falls a little down on the example list? I mean, obviously, it matters to those of us here. But why does it matter in, say, Turkey or Pakistan? Well, I think the U.S. has has a special role, uh, both because of the power of the U.S. media in the United States and its history, particularly, you know, you go anywhere in the world and you hear from journalists who do investigative reporting, you hear them talk about Watergate. And it's, 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 it's impossible to kind of overstate what that kind, what that meant in the sort of consciousness of journalists around the world who do investigative and accountability journalism, that, that the media could bring down a presidency. And so the U.S., you know, we have the First Amendment. There's, 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 there's a special case uh, and a special resonance that the U.S. media has in many parts of the world. Secondly, the U.S. Has, has, is the most in, influential player in terms of its foreign policy. So what the U.S. does and what the U.S. says really matters. And the U.S. has tremendous influence, not just in terms of engagement, direct bilateral engagement with a particular country and the ability to raise press freedom and express concern about the rights of journalists in a particular country, but also in terms of the whole international system that supports things like the open internet. So if the U.S. does not maintain this standard domestically, it has a ripple effect in terms of the global environment for free expression and the protection of rights, the rights of journalists, particularly the most vulnerable journalists working in repressive and violent societies. Talk a little bit about what the United States actually does, the United States government, to promote press freedom. And maybe take a specific example. Talk about Russia. What does the United States, what does the State Department, other 
organizations and the bureaucracy do to try to create greater press freedom there? And how might that be endangered by a change in policy? I'm not just talking about the example here. I'm talking about government programs. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's so many different, so many different l- ways in which the government apparatus uh, engages on these issues, because through Republican and Democratic administrations, it's been a core principle, a, sort of a part of the U.S. identity and, 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 and a, a key uh, part of U.S. foreign policy. So, you know, I've been involved in this kind of thing for 20 years, and uh, I've seen the U.S. engage in various levels, sometimes through public statements, which could be very valuable, sometimes through back-channel diplomacy, these, you know, press freedom or the detention of a specific journalist or the murder of a journalist, this could be put on the bilateral agenda and come up in meetings, you know, perhaps at the uh, level of the cabinet level or perhaps at the leadership level. Uh, the U.S. funds uh, independent media through various programs. The U.S. and international institutions uh, speaks up and defends the rights of journalists and, and, and free expression and also the uh, open Internet. So um, there are many ways in which the U.S. exercises its influence. Now, this is obviously not to say that the U.S. is perfect. Uh, we have many, many shortcomings and in terms of our relationship with the media in terms of these policies. But the U.S. certainly has influence, and I've seen firsthand in places, in just to point to some cases in the Obama administration, uh, in both Vietnam and in Ethiopia, uh, I saw that you know speaking out and working behind the scenes helped lead to the release of, of dissident journalists who were, who were jailed. So I know these policies can make a difference. On Friday, Donald Trump gave a speech at the CPAC conference, and he used the same line that he'd used on Twitter. He said the press was the enemy of the people. And I think a lot of people in the press don't exactly know how we should respond to that. I mean, we've seen these same numbers showing that a lot of people don't trust the press. Maybe maybe more people trust the press than trust Donald Trump, but not by a huge margin. And, you know, when you're being made, when the press is being made a hate object in that way by the president, what's your suggestion? What should they do? What should we do? Well, I look around the world and I see a strategy that has been very effective. And I see President Trump and I think uh, Steve Bannon trying to replicate it here. And that's basically you declare the press the opposition and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've seen this happen in places like Venezuela, in Russia, in Turkey, and without making a comparison, I'm just talking about the strategy. Basically what happens is the press starts to feel very beleaguered and very under threat, and they start behaving in a more oppositional manner, and then that confirms the uh, the characterization that the leadership has used, and then it actually paves the way potentially for um, restrictions being introduced. So I think it's very important that the press avoid engaging in any behavior or actions that could make it make it easier for the administration to represent that they're engaging in oppositional behavior. Now, of course, that doesn't mean they should should obviously perform uh, their accountability role with vigor and with fearlessness, uh, but, but it's very important that they don't, that they're cognizant of the line between that role and direct opposition. And so that, that, that could mean certain kinds of things that have been put on the table I'm a little skeptical about, like boycotts. You know, I understand why people are calling for that, you know, but I think that that 
can easily be labeled as oppositional behavior, which can actually help uh, the administration further its argument, and, and that would actually be detrimental to the cause. It's hard not to react in that way, Joel. I mean, when, you know, Kellyanne Conway, for example, just goes on these shows and, and just lies. I mean, when you just, you know, yeah. you're going to get nothing of value. Shouldn't you have a boycott? I mean, maybe it's not an official boycott, but if I was the news director at CNN, boy, what I would say, do not put her on the air anymore. Oh, well, it's a waste fine. of our I viewers' mean, no, time. No, no, I'm yeah. talking about something that's organized uh, across yeah. the industry. So yeah. I think it's fine for each individual news organization to say, this is not a credible source. Uh, we're not going to put her on the air, or we're not going to put this person on the air, or we're going to respond in this way. But what I'm talking about is something more organized, uh, which is definitely a double-edged sword. I mean, until Friday, you probably could have said if you wanted to, well, it's terribly saying this, but sticks and stones. But actually, something happened on Friday that went beyond that into the realm that points to a kind of, of censorship. Sean Spicer had this press gaggle where I guess it's technically different from a press briefing. But he essentially said, critical media, you, New York Times, CNN, BuzzFeed, you're not invited and we're going to have some of these these right-wing propaganda news organizations in. Plus, we'll keep a couple of the others we're not mad at today. But that's, I mean, can he do that? Yeah, he, he could do that. I mean, well, I mean, he did it. But, I mean, is it constitutional? I mean, is it legal? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I've had some conversations with uh, First Amendment lawyers, and they, they tell me that, the, you know, you probably don't have much of a legal case here. Uh, it's not clear that it's a First Amendment violation, but what it is clear is that it's, it's, it's an effort at intimidation. And, and I think that if you put, there are, a couple, there are a couple pieces that you can put together. One is Trump in his speech at the uh, uh, conservative political action conference, you know, basically said, no one defends the First Amendment more than me, <laughs> and what I'm doing is just criticizing the media, and I'm within my rights. They can criticize me, but I can criticize them right back, and that, that's fair enough. But then he inserted something in there. He said, we're going to do something about this. It was kind of a throwaway line, but to me it was chilling. And remember that during the campaign, he made all sorts of comments about uh, we're going to make it easier to sue the media. Tighten up the libel laws. Yeah, so he's already set that up. And then you have this incident with Spicer limiting access to critical media outlets. So you put all these things together. You know, and you're really wondering, is this going, you know, I, I want to be clear, the, wor- the words have done damage, the words have consequences, but he's got real power now. And the question is, is this going to remain a war of words, or is there going to be, is he going to use this as an opportunity to transition to legal and regulatory measures, which would represent a much more direct threat? But what would be the next step? I mean, obviously, you've watched this curtain descending, you know, a kind of inch at a time in, in places like Turkey, but I mean, you could Spicer say, well, the Daily brief Briefing is now for truthful media, and we're only having news organizations into the briefing who we think tell the truth. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say a couple things. I mean, one is, um, you know, Trump's whole, whole approach is to keep people off balance and, and be unpredictable. I've certainly learned my lesson, and I don't really, I, don't, I, I make a point not to predict what he's going to do next. So I, I don't really know. But I think, I think the point is we really uh, need to be prepared. I mean, I'm certainly, you know, I don't want to telegraph what people are telling me necessarily, but, you know, there are things that he can do. There are definitely measures that he can take that he has the authority uh, to take. I mean, one thing that I can talk about and one thing that I'm very concerned about 
is uh, leak investigations and, and, and prosecution of leakers. I mean, we saw this in the Obama administration, which was, you know, the most most aggressive uh, prosecution of leakers uh, in history. And, and we had more prosecutions under the um, 1979 uh, Espionage Act of leakers that ensnared journalists. This was, this was unprecedented, and this was during the Obama administration. Well, obviously, uh, President Trump has those, that same authority, and he's indicated in, in, in his recent discourse that he is going after leakers. And there is no way that he can go after leakers without ensnaring the press. And if he is serious about this, uh, that is something we have to be very concerned about. Yeah. Committed to Protect Journalists has, has historically been uh, defended journalists, tried to protect journalists in physical danger. And most of its activity has been international. I mean, I think it's fairly rarely gotten involved in cases in the United States. Are you prepared to do this now? I mean, is the United States part of the territory where CPJ has to get involved? Well, I'm talking to you, so I, I think the answer is yes. Um, I mean, I, I think I think we have there's there's a couple of things that we need to be cognizant of. One is, you know, Trump's the strategy here is is to provoke. So we have to be careful in responding to the provocation that we're not serving Trump's aims, one of which I think is actually to make sure that we're having discussions about this instead of discussions about investigations into complicity with, with Russia and possible involvement in hacking and you know, what, whatever is uh, coming down the pike, we have no idea. But, you know, obviously, part of the, 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 the strategy seems to be to divert attention from that. So we, we have to be very careful. But I think what's consistent with CPJ's mandate is the weakening of the U.S. influence on press freedom and its ability to defend the rights of journalists around the world has a direct impact on the constituency of journalists that we're most concerned about, those on the front lines reporting in difficult and dangerous positions. And it also emboldens autocratic leaders around the world because, you know, really, you know, what can, what can Trump say? You know, could Trump really go into a meeting with President Xi of China, if, even if he were inclined to do this, and raise press freedom credibly? So we're, 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 we're very concerned about that influence. Uh, and you know, obviously, it's, it's a direct threat to journalists in this country as well. And journalists are asking us to do more. And so we're responding. We started by talking about a Republican who was speaking up for press freedom, former President George W. Bush, another Republican who has a very uh, strong profile defending free independent media is Mike Pence. Yeah. Where's what's well, first of all, I think most people probably don't know that. So explain why why you think if you do that Pence has a good record on this. And where is he? Is he AWOL? How do you think he's responding to this? Well, he definitely has a good record. Uh, he, there's a, a, a bicameral, bipartisan Freedom of the Press Caucus in Congress. And uh, when Pence was a member of Congress, he was the co-chair, and we interacted with him uh, in, that, in that capacity. He was a co-sponsor of the Federal Shield Law. He made uh, a number of important statements. He was interested and engaged. His staff was uh, about issues of, of press freedom violations around the world. You know, the Press Freedom Caucus was not as active as we would have liked, but it certainly, uh, you know, existed, and, 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 and uh, Pence was involved. Where is he on this, this issue now that um, he's vice president? It's really hard to say. I mean, I think his relationship with President Trump is really, you know, the question is, is, is he an enabler? 
or is he going to stand up for these principles at some point and insist that what the president is doing is undermining a cause that that Vice President Pence has identified as something that he cares um, about in a very personal way, and there's really no way to reconcile what Pence's positions have been previously and what we're seeing uh, coming out of the White House today. So, Joel, I think that was a bit of a rhetorical question on your part. We know what Mike Pence is going to do. He's going to do nothing. I mean, the odds that he stands up to, to Trump on anything, but particularly on press freedom, when this is the thing pre- Trump is most upset, screaming and yelling about. I mean, he's just not going to do it. So what does it matter that he used to be part of, used to be one of the heads of the Press Freedom Caucus? It's, we, we, turn, we see what his real commitment is now that the chips are down. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. But again, I'm not, I'm not in the business of making predictions. I mean, you know, uh, who, who knows what the future is going to hold? It's a very volatile moment, um, obviously. As I said, we're, we're you know there's, there's investigations underway. Trump's uh, is rallying his base. Uh, he's still got a lot of support, but his uh, his position is slipping. So I mean, I think I think that a perpetual war with the press uh, maybe it's a good strategy, maybe it's not. Uh, we're going to find out. I've been speaking to Joel Simon, the director of the Committee to Protect Journalists. His op-ed in Saturday's New York Times was called Trump is Damaging Press Freedom in the United States and Abroad. Joel, thanks for joining me. Great to be on. Thanks so much, Jacob. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. And hey, did you hear the news last week that Donald Trump is boycotting the White House Correspondents' Dinner? They should have boycotted him first. But I've got an idea. You know who's better than Donald Trump? John D. Domenico. Why don't they just get him? He can improvise a whole speech that'll have everybody in stitches. That's my idea for the day. And if they don't do it, you should still follow John on Twitter. He's at JohnnyD23. And I have one more announcement. We're starting a Trumpcast book club. We're going to be reading classic works of literature that are relevant to the present moment. And our first selection is Philip Roth's novel, The Plot Against America. I'm going to be reading it with Philip Gravich of The New Yorker and the journalist Katie Royfe, two of my favorite people to talk to about books and politics. So get yourself a copy, order it on Amazon, go to whatever independent bookstore you patronize and start reading it. And then our discussion will be even better. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. The Oscars last night were an absolute and total disaster. Horrible, horrible show. Worst ratings ever, other than when they mentioned me, which was about a hundred times. That's when the ratings went up. I would like everyone to know that I officially hate Jimmy Kimmel. It's official. He's fat. He's not funny. He's not funny. And I don't appreciate him asking me if I'm up. I'm always up. I'm always up up. He did a terrible, terrible job. And good for them that they screwed up the best picture. They deserved it. The Hollywood liberals are 
out of control. I'm doing a fantastic job. I'm doing an absolutely amazing job. You know what it is? They're right. It is La La Land. It's La La Land and they don't know what they're doing. And yes, I will not be at the White House Correspondents Association dinner. I will be at Mar-a-Lago White House South or White House Winter White House, whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to be there. I have no intention of getting in front of the fake news press who's going to lie about everything I say and do. Terrible people.